0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. My title today is posed as a question. The question is, what will you do with resurrection? What will you do with resurrection? You know, a lot of times we... Um, We portray resurrection as God's response to our sin. But I want to give you today that there is actually a response from us that is required and expected and even uh, commanded, demanded, if you will, as a result of what Jesus has done for us. Um, we are very intentional here at Anchor Faith Church. I'm not sure the, the, the backgrounds all across this room. There's probably a, a numerous uh, uh, traditions and ways that we celebrate uh, this, this day, this momentous occasion. Uh, maybe for some, it's just been merely a holiday. Maybe for others, you, you truly understand what this day is about. But here at Anchor Faith Church, we're very intentional that this is Resurrection Sunday. I know it can go by other names, um, but this is Resurrection Sunday. We are thankful for the cross. We are thankful for the blood that was shed. We are thankful for the life that was given. But you need to understand this, where the church has emphasized the cross, we have devalued the tomb. We've devalued the aspect of resurrection, the aspect that the one that died has risen again and is no longer in the tomb, is no longer dead, is no longer subjected to death. In fact, he made death subjected to him. Okay, so uh, this might be a little different than a traditional, you know, Easter message, Resurrection Sunday message, but this day is celebrating the risen king, not the dying king. And he came to this earth the first time as a suffering servant, but when he comes back, he is coming back as a king of kings and a lord of lords, ruling and reigning in complete victory. I told our teams this morning, I said that what's been in my spirit for the last couple of weeks is just guaranteed victory guaranteed victory. What would it look like if we knew that any situation we went to, we went into, you were guaranteed the outcome of victory? That that that's a game changer. If you know ahead of time, you're an overcomer. You're victorious. You're a winner. Amen. And so we need to see some things in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will. Everyone say mysterious. His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything. Everyone say everything. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, verse 11, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. Aren't you thankful he chose you in advance? And he makes everything work out. According to His plan, I want to read this to you in the the Passion translation. It reads this way: Through the revelation of the Anointed One, He unveiled His secret desires to us, the hidden mystery. I love this of His long range plan. You know what it says in the Bible? Uh, you know why is it mysterious? Why is it a mystery? It says if they had knew what if they had known what they were doing when they crucified Christ, they wouldn't have done it. That, that's, that's called a, a long-term game plan. That's playing the long game, right? That, that's thinking downrange a little bit. You know, you don't want to play chess with God. He's already two or three moves ahead of you. And Satan thought he made the ultimate move of defeat. It turned out to be the ultimate move of his demise because it was God's. He was just setting him up. He was putting him in a place where he would end up where he is so that he could take everything from him and restore and redeem you and I. It's, mis- it's so mysterious that not even the devil himself knew what was coming. So mysterious that not even Satan himself knew what the plan was. Long-range plan, which, was, which he was delighted to implement from the, bar- the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. And verse 11 reads, through our union with Christ, We too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and every plan in his heart. It is assuring and comforting to know that God is not daily walking our life out with us. What I mean by that is he's not figuring it out as we go. God has thought ahead. God has planned ahead. This plan was put in place before the beginning of time. Only God can get to the before the beginning of time. And he put a plan in place to restore us, to redeem us, and to ultimately see his plan fulfilled and unfold through us. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the ultimate victory. To God, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is not just another holiday on the calendar. To God, this is the day marked in history that his church receives its authority and now fulfills his plan. You know, we, we say things like, you know, God loves people for God so loved the world that he came. He does, but ultimately what you need to understand is God has one purpose. And that's to see his kingdom extended from heaven to the earth. That's his purpose. That's his plan. At the end of the day, you can sum it up and that's what God is doing. He's he, as much as we love to preach on heaven And going to heaven and, you know, coming out of darkness into light, making Jesus Lord of your life so that when you die, you can go to heaven. God isn't really interested in that. I'm thankful that I get to go heaven, go to heaven when I die. I'm thankful that's part of the plan. I'm thankful that I will no longer be separated from him, but I can be eternally with him. But God's plan is bigger. God is trying to turn this earth back into the heavenly realm that it was when it was first created. And he's using you and I to do that. He's using you and I to do that. Well, what happened was when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned in the garden, they were removed or separated from that plan. They were no longer part of the plan. So why does God love you? God loves you because you are literally the avenue by which he wants to get heaven into the earth. You know, honestly, this is why we are so unsettled in everything that we do. And everything that we chase. It's why you could never make or have enough money. It's why you could never, uh, uh, you know, have the perfect amount of relationships. It's the reason why um, you can never go high enough in your company. It's the reason why you can't have enough likes and followers on social media. It's the reason why we are left unsettled in just about every endeavor we embark on in life. It's because there's one hole that continues to remain unfulfilled that you're missing the point, And it's that you're not fulfilling the part of God's plan that he called you to. And he left it that way intentionally that you would not be fulfilled until you got a hold of his plan. I don't care how happy they look on the outside. I don't care if they look like they have it all put together. If they are missing the lordship of Christ and falling into his purpose and his plan for their life, they're not satisfied. There's not enough alcohol in the world to satisfy you. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough women. There's not enough people. There's, not, there's Nothing can satisfy what only God can satisfy, and he made it that way on purpose. He did it that way intentionally to ensure that you would seek until you found him. I have found people with Christ with much less, much less than anything else that most people have on this planet. And they live like they have everything they need. It's because this was his plan right here. This was his purpose right here. What is our response? resurrection. I've learned that resurrection demands a response. I've learned that if we allocate resurrection to a story that we tell or a day that we celebrate that we're not fully receiving what God was wanting to do through that event, through that moment. That he had a plan. And if I don't respond accordingly, if I only respond with carving out church on a Sunday morning on Easter Sunday, if I only respond with, with, with all the other stuff that we have marketed and advertised and made this day about, then you, you're, you're not going to receive all that God intended for this day. I hope that maybe today we can alter and we can change what we think about Easter and what we think about Resurrection Sunday for every year beyond this. I'll be honest, I don't just celebrate Resurrection Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. I mean, it's great that we can take a day to honor that. Just same with Christmas. But shouldn't we be thankful for the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the risen King every day of our lives? See, sometimes when we we relegate things to a special day, then we leave it on that day. And we miss what God was really trying to do. I want to give you three responses that we should have to resurrection. Three responses that we should have to resurrection. Number one, the first response we should have is to remember his plan. Remember his plan. In Luke chapter 24, it's interesting. The um, We had, you know, some women, Paul and, uh, not Paul, Peter and John, uh, they were all on their way to uh, take care of the body of Jesus on that third day. We know Resurrection Sunday, the actual third day event in the Bible. Uh, they were on their way to the tomb, and they were going to anoint the body and, and, and do the things that they traditionally did um, you know, with, with, uh, in those scenarios. And when they showed up, of course, they found the stone rolled away, didn't they? They found soldiers on the ground. They found angels that were declaring that he's no longer here, He has risen. If you look at Luke chapter 24, verse 5, it says, The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Now, look at the very next line that these angels tell these women. Remember what. He told you. You've probably had the same thought that I've had many times. How could they not have seen the resurrection coming as many times as Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. How many times did he share that with them? How many times did he explain that to them? How many times did he reveal that? I mean, again, if you could know ahead of time, before you go into something tragic or devastating, that there was victory on the other side, wouldn't you go into it differently but but this is what happens if the enemy can't he can't keep the event from happening he will keep you distracted from it so we get distracted by the grief we get distracted by the loss we get distracted by the tragedy. Come on, we do this with, with in, in our own lives. We get distracted by the thing itself rather than seeing God's plan in the midst of it the whole time. Doesn't the word of God say that I will make all things work together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose? But yet every time we end up in a situation that, that that's dire, that's tragic, we act like, All hell's breaking loose. God has taken the day off, and now I'm left to my own devices. This is what we do. And what's the angel telling them? He's not giving them a new word. He's saying, just remember what he's been telling you. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. You can always remember what he's told you. His word is his plan." His word is his plan. See, when you become a lover of his word, then you become a lover of his plan. I don't read the word. I don't read the word just to fulfill a religious obligation. I read the word because I want his mysterious plan to be unfolded in my life. And so I look at things going on around me. and I say, you know what? This this doesn't quite line up with what I know your word says. So there must be more to it. I'm reminded of when Lazarus died. Remember when Lazarus died and they sent to Jesus? He's at the point of death. He's so sick, he's about to die. Come and heal him. And what's he do? He waits. Just just like the loving, loving son of God, right? He waits. He delays. And he makes a statement there to his disciples. He said, this sickness will not be unto death. If you look up the the actual translation, how it's worded, it actually reads this way. This sickness will not end in death. Will not end. Meaning what? Meaning this. Even if he dies, I'm still not done. Even Even if he dies, it's not over. Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say it is over. He said, it is finished. My work has been accomplished. What's finished? His plan. His plan of what Jesus came to do. And then from that moment, he now hands off the baton to the church, you and I, and says, now go complete and do what you're supposed to do. And even though it looks like it has died, it's not over. He's not done. He's still working. He's still working. So you need to understand that his plan is much bigger. We need to remember. Verse 7 of that passage, Luke 24, says that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. He's he's reciting back to them everything that Jesus had already foretold. Verse 8 says this. Then they remembered that he had said this. We need to become a remembering church. We need to become a people that remember the word of God. I, but I, I can't recall what I haven't studied. I can't remember what I haven't first put in, right? But this this, this fact of remembering, the, the, especially in these last days, and especially with what we've seen, especially with, with all that's taking place in, in, in the last couple of years, It's time for the church to get back to remembering who we are. It's time for the church to get back to remembering what we have. It's time for the church to remember what his word says about the different situations that we're seeing. I can't remember how many it is. Maybe some of you Bible scholars can remember it better than I can. But but the the number of prophecies that Jesus' death fulfilled, just in in his death, not even in his life, just in his death, in those, those final days of his life. How many prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled? What's that? God is laying the foundation even now, has laid the foundation for everything that will happen. And now he's just calling on you and I to recall and remember what he's already said. Resurrection puts us in a, in a position to recall and remember what his plan is. What his purpose is. What's our response to resurrection? It's to remember his plan. The enemy will distract you. The enemy will confront you. The enemy will uh, try to get you to be moved off of what his word says. Number two, number two, his plan is to redeem his people. What will you do with resurrection? Redeem his people. The word redeem means to buy back. Means to buy back. We already learned that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. He bought us back. You know, it it, it was probably the, the worst investment on the outside ever made. There's no investor that would encourage you to, to buy something that has no value or uh, uh, in hopes that it would increase or gain in value. But yet God did that. While you were dead in your trespasses, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you again with no guarantee that we would receive it, that we would respond in like manner. The Bible says that he desires that none perish. Not one, but we know that many will choose to perish in their sins versus receive Jesus and make him Lord, but yet he still paid the price. Living as redeemed people, it's more than just living a life of overcoming sin. Redemption is more than just fighting off sin for the rest of your life. I I, I firmly believe that God had a bigger plan for us than to just daily try to overcome sin and lusts and desires of the world. I believe that he had a greater plan. Ephesians chapter two says this. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. How many times have you heard that when he was raised, so were you? Why are we missing that connection? Raised to life with Christ does not sound like Drudging through life, hoping that the next sin around the corner isn't stronger than my will and my desire to overcome it. That, that does not sound like reigning in life. That doesn't sound like being raised to life with Christ. That doesn't sound like being seated in heavenly places at the right. That, that, those two things you cannot reconcile. There must be a greater life. There must be a greater plan that God has. How will I respond? I will live as a redeemed individual. I will live as a redeemed believer. And then I'm going to go one step further. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we have now been made ministers of reconciliation. Redeemed people redeem people. It's time to start buying back people that you or maybe the world has lost value in. But we don't get to assess the value. We don't get to determine what they're worth. We don't get to look at their past and let that be a predictor of their future. God looked at our past before it was, while it was still in the future and still said, I'm gonna lay my, my life down for you. It's time we start finding value in people. Start finding value and the value will lead us to redemption and seeing their lives redeemed. That's a hope. He raised us from the dead along with Christ, verse 6, and and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I love what verse 7 says. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with With Christ Jesus. Number one, I've got to remember his plan. Number two, I've got to actively live a life redeeming his people. Number three, number three, is restoring his purpose. Restore his purpose. In the Passion Translation, Ephesians chapter 2 reads uh, this way. I want to jump down to verse 4. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Verse six says this. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated, As one with Christ, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. Christ. I already told you that God's ultimate plan was to restore his kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And when he redeemed you, when he saved you, when he restored you, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you weren't just redeemed from hell and given access to heaven when you die. You were given access to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. I'd put it to you this way. The only way of life for the believer is victory. The only way of life for the believer is ruling and reigning. What does it mean to be seated with Christ? What does that mean to be raised with Christ? What does that mean to be seated in heavenly places? Well, God is a king and God sits on a throne and sitting at the right hand is the son, Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. The Bible tells us in the previous chapter in Ephesians chapter 1 that he is seated at the right hand of the father far above. All principality, power, might, and dominion. I'm telling you right now, he's not coming back for a church that's just going to barely make it. He's coming back for a church that is ruling and reigning and bringing heaven to earth. He's coming back for a church that is the greatest example, visible representation of his kingdom on earth. There's no barely squeaking by. There's no just getting in by, the, by the, 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 the skin of your teeth. We're talking about ruling and reigning and living the overcoming victorious life the church was called to live. Before Jesus went to the cross in Matthew chapter 16, he said, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said this, the gates of hell will not even prevail against my church. If we're going to respond to resurrection accordingly, we're going to respond in victory. You know, the church has made great emphasis of the cross and rightfully so. But in that is an element of all that he has done for us with no rightful responsibility. What is responsibility? The ability to respond. Resurrection holds us accountable and responsible for what we are supposed to be doing as the church in these last days. Worship team, if you go ahead and come. The resurrection makes us responsible, holds us accountable for how will will we respond to his resurrection? What will you do with it? From this moment, what will you do with it? How will you move forward? How will you allow his victory, his conquering, his overcoming to change your life? and the lives of others around you. When I, when I start recalling his plan, when I start remembering what he was called to do, when I start recalling his word in my life, I start reminding myself of all that he's done, the price that he's paid, but I also remind myself of the response that I will now make. This wasn't just a show. This wasn't just an event. This wasn't just a holiday. This was the day that from that moment on, the church would literally bring heaven to earth. Literally be, as Ephesians chapter two said, the visible representation. That's you and I. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God.